Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Becoming CEO AF podcast. I'm your host, Kimba Garcia. And I am your co-host, Amanda Bell. Today, you guys, we have one of my all-time favorite, I'm going to call him the mentor uh, from my real estate space, Lars Lofstrand. Lars, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I'm super excited. I was so excited, you guys, to bring Lars in here today with us. It was actually Coach Rachel who found Lars on Instagram, started following him, and said, oh my gosh, we've got to get this guy in our podcast. got to happen. And sure enough, we reached out to Lars. I was like, sister, I've known Lars since like 2016, girl. Like Lars and I went way back, dude. We're in 2023 now. And uh, and so we hit Lars up and, and asked him to please come out and share his story and his journey with all of you here today. The beautiful part about Lars, you guys, I'm going to back up just a little bit and tell you how I met him, and then I'll let him dive in and tell you more of his story. So the really great part about Lars was when I met him, I was in the very beginning journey of my real estate career here in Texas. And so I jumped on with the Russell Rhodes team in Flower Mound. Absolutely love Russell. He was he is and and was my mentor whenever I first got in the space. And Lars came out, he was invited to come out and speak to us, not just to the team, but speak to the brokerage. And was it two different settings or four? Uh, well, we spoke to Berkshire Hathaway and then also to uh, the Russell Rhodes team on their own. Yeah, Berkshire Hathaway was a series of, I think it was three. Yeah, it was three a rewired talks. series. And That's I still yeah, have yeah. I think that packet. Three of them. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Cool. Yeah. That was good. It was a good audience. It was a really good yeah. audience. So he spoke to the entire brokerage and then to the team in a whole. And it was a series called Rewired. And at the time, re today you guys hear us talk about rewiring your mind, rewiring this, and, and all the things, um, especially from Kimba's background in NLP. But at the time when Lars was speaking about it, I believe it was in 2017, um, and when Lars was speaking about it, rewiring wasn't something that was, it was not as easy to consume, if you will. He was kind of one of the first guys breaking ground on that level in in the world in a whole, at least for me, right? It was one of the first times that I had ever heard uh, somebody speak more on a mindset basis and how that truly is the first piece to moving anything in business. Um, and so for me, it was a great experience. He came, he actually broke it up into two different sessions with the, uh, with the brokerage and all of the agents that stepped in. And so we could digest all of the information that he fed us uh, throughout the throughout the events because they were about eight hours long each. So they were lengthy. I think we got there at like 9 a.m., kicked off at 10 a.m., and we didn't leave till maybe 4 or 5 p.m. Um, and so lengthy events like that in a foreign topic, when you think you're coming in to figure out how to cold call a potential buyer or seller, and in fact, he's wiring you the other direction of, actually, we're gonna start with your brain and your thoughts. I remember being like, what what in the world is this but Lars how did you I, I think somebody inside the Rhodes team knew you was it Rob Keeney uh, so Rob Keeney knew me obviously with owning a brokerage you know people knew me from owning a halo group realty you know I mean we went from 30 agents to 185 so that was quite a feat in such a small time so you kind of get a name for yourself so yeah. I did a lot of work in uh, the real estate business but yeah Rob Keeney was uh, the main contact I think he used to be with the Rod Road uh, the Rhodes team so yeah he was yeah, he was my personal mentor oh, really? there. yeah, oh, yeah. He's, he's great super great guy yeah um, I'm like shout out Rob <laughs> um, who is now a mortgage lender but for your series and rewired 
I guess I'd be curious to hear you already had the brokerage you were already you already had agents under you but you were still slowing down to train other brokerages and their agents along the way which I want to I just want to stop and say thank you so much because I know the impression that you not only left with me but with all of the individuals there and even after his event with us you guys Lars literally met myself and maybe two or three other agents outside of the event just to conversate real estate and and the entrepreneurial lifestyle because as agents we sometimes get into it thinking we're going to open doors and we're going to sell homes and hopefully pay our bills but the truth is is it is a full-blown business especially if you plan to have an exit strategy and real estate might not be the best place to uh, start a career if you're looking is at an exit but Lars has actually done both he's scaled a brokerage to 186 agents on his in his brokerage and was able to sell his brokerage which sometimes is unheard of in the real estate industry. So I would just really like to hear more about your journey, how you got started, give back, and then how you eventually sold it. Yeah, well, so let me go back even further. You know, how I got into the business, uh, I invested in a chemical company. Wow, how was that? 1991, I think it was in Houston, and I lost a lot of money on that deal. Um, but it put me on a new path where these guys headhunted me and I started working um, as a psychological profiler for a company out of Waco, Texas, believe it or not. So that's kind of how I got into the, the personal development space. We took the, the psychology we used for profiling, non-deviant behavior profiling, and I put it into a coaching program. And that's kind of how we came up with the coaching and consulting business. So at the core, my profession is coaching and consulting, but um, my business is to own businesses. And that allowed me to get into companies where I'd either buy a piece of it or I'd take sweat equity in it and uh, you know grow Love the business because I was going to grow it anyway. So they either paid me to grow it or I took a piece of the company to grow it, you know, which is what I prefer to do, you know, that's where the money yeah. is. So, so yeah, my business is really to own businesses and my profession is personal development. So that's the start of the journey. Then um, one of my clients was a company called Halo Group Realty and they brought me in to uh, try fix the company. There were six divisions, it was publicly traded. One of them was the real estate division and they were selling it. So they wanted to grow the company so they could sell it for more. And I just said, hey, I'll buy it broken, you know, I'll buy it as is. And they did, they sold it to me and another guy uh, who was actually uh, one of, uh, he was a broker within the company. He wasn't the broker of record, but he was a broker in the company running his own team and together him and I bought it, you know, and the rest is history. We grew it and I got out of it a few years later, which is typically what I do. I'll get into a company for a while and then get out of it, partly because that's how you make your money and partly because I get bored very easy, you know, yeah. so I've got to keep doing new projects. So that's it in a nutshell. There's no real... Um, you know other history to other than that and I hope that answered the question it did and I'm so fascinated by the psychology background in it all and um, that was the piece that stood out to me in the real estate rewired camp that we did with you was how you taught us how to almost profile the potential clients that we had the opportunities to work with uh, I would love to dive more into that, Lars. Yeah. That's probably one of my most attractive pieces about Kimba, too, by the way, because she's an NLP practitioner. Mm -hmm. So anytime it gets into, because what you say, I like to take back and point directly into me and mm -hmm. um, into myself personally. And that's actually a lot of the coaching that we do is how to, how to get them to quit focusing on the surroundings, but more focus on the internal and then watch it flourish from there. And you were probably the scratching like ground level for me of planting those seeds. Well, that can be a good thing and a bad thing, can't it? Oh, I took it. <laughs> I took it in the best way possible. I promise you, I'll do my best to do that every time. 
Well, so no, you know, knowledge, you know, knowledge can be a blessing or a curse. And that's what I always tell people. And, you know, typically when I'm interviewing somebody to do business with them, I, I make sure that they're ready for the information because, you know, getting more knowledge of something can actually curse you. And the reason being is because, you know, once you know you have to change something and you don't change it, now it becomes the stick you used to beat yourself up with, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's the challenge with knowledge. But if you're ready for it, then it requires you to take action. And, um, you know, it's in the action that we take that uh, uh, causes success. You know, it's not knowing something. It's being able to take the information you have and applying it. So application is important. So, you know, in a nutshell, that's what most entrepreneurs uh, probably struggle with is the application of what they know they should be doing, you know. Yeah. I mean, I love that quote that says, you know, if you just did the things you know you shouldn't could be doing, you'd be considered a genius. <laughs> we just don't, you know. So that's the challenge. So. Yeah. I like... Um I love that so much because it's so true, and I love how you said you you uh, you give them the information when you know they're ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. Because I do believe mm -hmm. we can almost tell instantly when somebody is open enough to receive it. I almost won't waste my breath if I don't feel like it's going to be received because at that point there isn't one, right? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, but I do also believe in giving or showing ourselves compassion. So I know that. I know that I do know things that I could do differently, right? Or I know that I do know things that um, that would have different outcomes if I took a different approach, maybe, um, in those areas. And I, I I try to refrain from taking that bat to the soul, if you will, and beating it, uh, and really just showing compassion and, and acknowledging, not necessarily justifying or making an excuse, but showing compassion in the moment of, well, sister, you've got the information, now you just have to figure out when you want to, right? Mm -hmm. When do you really want to? And if you decide, I found myself driving this morning actually, and I was just shaking my head almost in a side smile because I woke up in a little bit of a funk and I didn't have time to get out of it before I had to be in the car and out the door. Um, and so I always almost beat myself up because I'm like, girl, your alarm was set. You chose not to get up, get up at 4 a.m. You chose to snooze the alarm because you needed more rest. And then here you are being cranky on your drive-in. And that was, I was so cranky on my drive-in. And then I just found myself like smiling and shaking my head, um, thinking, man, Amanda, you are a wild soul and you are a little bit spunky. And you know what, girl, you know you're going to make the best of today and it's not going to be the end of it. And it's just the beginning of it is the truth. And, and I found myself walking myself all the way through that timeline of not beating the dead horse. That's actually the phrase that you gave us in the boot camp was beating the dead horse. Mm -hmm. um, you can't beat a the, the horse is already dead. You can't continue to go back and beat it. And I remember being like, oh, that's true. You can't continue to beat the dead horse. I literally, though, to what you just said, Lars, I think I just said it this morning. I'm like, Amanda and I have come up with two philosophies. Because anytime you're coaching somebody, it's like, where are you investing your oil in it It not being received, right? Mm -hmm. And when do you pull back from mentoring people that you can tell just don't want to receive it? So for us, because we're both natural givers, it sounds like like yourself, you just naturally are giving, 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 give. When do you... When do you stop? And so for her and I, we came up with the rule for ourselves. There's there's two points to it. Anybody that wants to come can, right? So you have to want to come. And then your heart has to be open to receiving the information. So I loved that you touched on that because I think a lot of times entrepreneurs will listen to the podcast. They'll read their books. They'll hire the coach. They'll put themselves in the space. But their heart's not truly open to receive the information or to be able to execute that into action. Mm -hmm. So they're just constantly spinning their wheels in that personal development space, wondering why they're actually not moving anything forward, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a tough one. Most people, not only entrepreneurs, but especially with entrepreneurs, they, 
you know, most people don't know why they do what they do. And I know that's a huge statement to make, but that's the experience I've seen, you know. So we, we know what it is that we want. And we think that the what is the why, but it's not the real why. And I think that's what I do in a nutshell is help people, you know, discover why they do what they do and why they do what they do at the core, not what the, it appears to be. And I think at most entrepreneurs are um, you know in denial of what it is that they really want or why they're doing things so that's why they continue to do some things that maybe they shouldn't do because their motives aren't right so once you get your motive right I think you then have the uh, the ability and capacity to do less things but get more done if that makes sense it makes a ton of sense it's also what's grounded both Kimba and I to the mission is because we do truly believe that we've got a mission here on earth and uh, and once we found that it made it easier if you will to, uh, we were more inspired to wake up every day and hold true to the mission because it wasn't fulfilled. So it's almost mm. taking your energy and pointing it in a very direct space and almost just being relentless in the best of ways until that mission is accomplished. But it, I find myself not getting burnt out in real estate after eight years, not mm -hmm. getting, because I was the exact same way. Two or three years here, two or three years there, four years maybe there, I'm hitting records, I'm starting to hit some records. Um, and, um, and then once I dove into real estate, I was like, man, I don't know how long I'm going to do this. I'm going to be honest. Like how many doors can you open before you're yeah. just kind of tired of opening the doors, yeah. you know, and, uh, or building the team or doing the things. And, um, and it was once I was able to hone in on the mission, on the true, why do I get up every single day and relentlessly chase the same mission? It's because I understand it mm -hmm. to a core level. And, and what would you say that is if you, if you had to put your mission into a nutshell, what would you say that mission is? I love that you asked that question. So the mission for myself is to ensure that the vibration of the entire planet is has been risen to a level that everybody can feel the frequency and has a choice to jump on that if they'd like to. Um, but not so that we're living in a happy, little, peaceful, blissful place. It's so that our planet is taken care of for longevity. So my, my kids' kids and kids' kids' kids and so on and so forth can live in a place where they can trust their government, they can trust the political side of things, they can trust the churches, they can trust the food that they put in their mouths. They can heal at a level where they're not having to take a pill and swallow it every morning to uh, to mm -hmm. feel better. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the mission. I like that. Yeah. We, I like that. We, tr we truly believe that, especially after the pandemic, that we now live in a world where people can no longer trust the government, the medical institutions, the educational institutions, the financial institutions, and hell, you can't even really trust the church anymore because there's corruption there too. Mm -hmm. So our mission is truly to bring people back to their center, to connection with themselves, our connection with each other, our connection to source, God, for whatever that looks like, and to Mother Earth again, to get us back to that core balance of true holistic health, of wellness over just not being sick and to help people really tap into their God power and their God energy so that we can collectively raise the vibration. And we know that as we heal ourselves, we heal the collective. We mm -hmm. heal the whole universe when it starts because we're truly all one. And so that's the mission inside of CEO AF and why we work with entrepreneurs because we truly believe that entrepreneurs are the movers and shakers of the planet and the one that in the shift that the world is going through right now will be the ones to raise up and start to take over and say we no longer accept corruption we no longer accept our children being trafficked we no longer accept all of these dark low frequencies and we know that the movers and shakers and the entrepreneurs of the planet will be the one to find that God power inside of themselves and literally raise the frequency of everybody but it's going to take all of us stepping into our power it's going to take everybody pushing into their own modalities and their own talents to be able to get that done 
And I've personally, I know Amanda too, have just received that as a download where God's told me, assemble the peaceful warriors, assemble my volunteers and bring together everybody that's just ready to make the change that's so needed in the world right now. And when you feel like that's been put on your soul, that's not light. Mm -hmm. So I do, I wake up every morning with a gratitude that I've been given the mission, that I've been put um, on a platform and in a position where we can bring people like you to the audience to continue to feed into these different souls and to help these people step into that power inside of their business because we know that the business needs to get the hell out of the way is the truth. We need people making money. We need businesses thriving. We need our economy thriving, but we need entrepreneurs to be able to turn that over to the people that can run the company so that they can truly focus on their sole purpose for whatever that looks like. For some people, it's getting involved with children or with, um, you know, we have all kinds of different 501Cs, then we're working on putting together a foundation that will support all of those 501Cs. But I'm like, y'all don't get me talking about the mission, because I'll go on one. Um, but that's for I'm us. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm hallelujahing. I'm like, whoo, hallelujah, like, Kimba. it's a big one. But when you get, when you, when you align with that, for whatever it is for yourself, you can't help but wake up in the morning and be ready to go, right? I mean, I woke up this morning, I've already reached out to people over setting up my 501C3, who am I gonna use to set this up? Because I've been given a calling. And like you said, when entrepreneurs can tap into that calling, when they can understand their why for whatever that is, not even just at your life, like in this human dimension right now, but what is your soul's why? That's really where it gets super interesting and you almost just can't even help but show up full speed to that mission every day because it's, it literally becomes more important than the breath that you breathe. And we hear people say that when you want it as bad as you want to breathe, that's when you'll win, right? Yeah. That's when you'll be successful. But if you're not anchored to that true why, you're never going to want anything as bad as you can breathe. You don't even understand what you're running for. Mm. I like that. You know what I've seen is, and you, you know, you mentioned purpose. Um, if I had to, and I was thinking about on the way over here, you know, how could I leave a message for your audience which I take our CEOs and their own company you know entrepreneurs but you know how do you how do you get people to do more how do you get people to achieve more how do you get people to uh, be more fulfilled how do we feel more fulfilled and what I've seen with entrepreneurs and most business owners they don't have a purpose or mission you know you can call it a purpose mission we call it different things but you know I was thinking about happiness and they say that there's three things because ultimately we all want to be happy yeah. but there's three things three ingredients you need to be happy the first one in no particular order the first one is you have to have a purpose in other words that purpose has to be bigger than yourself so you have to have something that you look up to and that you you're trying to or striving to be mm -hmm. the second one is you've got to do, be able to do something something you enjoy yeah. and then the third one is having a connection with with people they call it love a love connection yes. but that love love doesn't have to be an intimate one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody it can exactly. be you know like i could love you guys as friends you know yeah. i do but that's love important. you <laughs> We that, do, Lars, I gotta tell you, we tell all of our clients and all of our friends that we love them. And sometimes people say it back and sometimes they look at yeah. us and I'm like, you know what? I do love you. I truly do genuinely just love you. And I think that I love that that's the third piece too. Well, and that's a great trait saying. to have, you know, but those are the three things. And what they found was, you know, once you have those three things, it's not money that makes you happier because once your basic needs are met, pretty much money doesn't motivate you anymore. That's right. However, here's the challenge we have. We then use incentive to motivate people like we you know we obviously got to hire people into our businesses and you know we try to use incentive we try to use money to drive people and it's not what truly drives them now it'll drive them in the short term but long term it doesn't drive them so that's why you know i've been obsessed with you know what drives people why do people do the things they do and i've 
kind of made that my life's work for the last you know 25 maybe 30 years you know is why we do what we do and i think that's important because if you look at motive motive is everything you know actions aren't as important as what motives are yeah so i'm thinking about a, an appropriate example for that but you know let's use an extreme example of you know each one of us here in this trailer m may not want to kill somebody but yet, uh, because that's murder, right? But we will still go to war and kill somebody in self-defense. Mm -hmm. So it's not the act per se that's wrong or right. It's what motivates us. What's our motive? So Ooh. it's okay. It's okay to defend yourself and end up somebody being killed. And I know I'm using extreme examples. Anyone who came to my no, head, I love it. But you know, you can either murder somebody, which is wrong, or you can kill somebody in self-defense. What makes one right? One. What makes one wrong? motive in other words our reason for doing something yes and what i have found uh, with most people not only entrepreneurs but most people don't know why they're doing what they do most people don't know why they choose the mission they have so most of us if you look at the three things that make us happy one we don't have great connections two we don't have a purpose most people don't in fact uh, only three percent of the world's population has a written down goal and plan yeah the three only 3%. The other 97% are winging it. We're doing whatever hits us in the day. And what's the challenge with that? We end up, you know, being busy, being busy, getting nothing done. Mm -hmm. And I often tell people, you know, don't mistake activity for achievement. I call it the rocking chair syndrome. There's a lot of movement in the rocking chair, but you just don't go anywhere. And that's most of us. And then, you know, so obviously it's the connection. We don't have the connection. We have bad relationships and we don't have a purpose. And then most of us are doing stuff because that's the third thing to be happy is we've got to have something that we do that we enjoy. Most of us are doing stuff that aren't aligned to anything. So what are we doing? Well, we're just doing. So it might make us happy in the short term, but it's not related to a purpose. We're not really achieving something. We're not leaving a legacy. And that has a huge impact on the human spirit. We want to leave something. We want to be significant. We want to be important. Yeah. In fact, the three things that drive the human being, the three top things are love, acceptance, and respect. We all want to be validated. We all want love, acceptance, and respect. But most of us are needs-based. We, 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 we base, you know, we, um, we base what it is that we do on money, for example. And if you look at money, nobody wants money. We want what money can buy us. Bam. But even those things become a vehicle to getting us what we really want, which at the end of the day is love, acceptance, and respect. If it doesn't relate back to that, most of us aren't motivated. That's why most people are only motivated up to the point where they satisfy the need but not the one, if that makes sense. That's why gyms are full in the first week of the month and then are empty, you know, the, 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 the 11 months of the, of the year because, um, you know, it's not a quick fix and the world has become quick fix. We want instant gratification. We don't want to put in the time. We don't want to be disciplined. We want things instantly. I mean, you can get an MBA on the, the internet today. You can go and buy it and you'll have an MBA degree. But what value does that have if you just buy it, if it doesn't take you know, effort to getting it. So, mm -hmm. you know, the problem with goal setting is there was a landmark study that came out about six years ago that found out that goal setting is a waste of time and money because we end up setting these goals, but we end up focusing on the wrong things. So it's not the goal that becomes the valuable thing. It's who you become on the way. It's the process of who you become on the way to getting the goal. The challenge is we focus on the end result and not on the journey. And that is the challenge. And the journey is where it's at. I just love your whole soul so much. And I love that you brought up love being a key component for us as humans um, and the way that our design works and the way that we function. Not only are we motivated through it, but we feel fruitful and alive through it. Um, because for 
Kimba and I, we found ourselves on that topic a lot lately. You know, we travel a lot. We, we move a lot. Um, we have a, carry a lot of conversations throughout the day, just like most of you guys listening to this today, right? And, uh, and sometimes that's not easy. We actually get asked quite often. I was on a podcast a couple months ago, and one of the questions that he just was dying for me to have the answer to was, how do you keep your relationship solid and that foundation stable? when you're not home, when you're here, when you're there, when you can't always pick up the phone. Um, and the truth is, is there was not a great answer to it at the time. Um, since then, I do feel like Kim and I both have dove deeper on it because the other side did that double-edged sword, if you will, because it ain't a pretty one. I'm like, <laughs> you get touched by either ends of that, it ain't going to feel good. Um, is that at the end of the day, if everything can come from that place of love, and what stood out to me in that whole thing, all of it stuck really hard. But the biggest piece that really just, I could feel it to my core, was telling somebody that you love them or showing love to somebody doesn't necessarily mean that it's an intimate or even a sexual relation by any means, um, by any means. And that's always been kind of a common standard for me. I remember when I was on the phone with my grandmother one day in middle school, at no, high school, and she was going to come pick me up because I wasn't feeling well from school, and she hung up the phone real quick. I come from an all-women family, no men. So my granny had my mom and her, my aunt. My mom had my twin sister and I, and it's always just all women. It was always all women, and, um, and nobody used the word love in the house at all, which I'm cool with. But then when I was at school, all of a sudden I wasn't cool with it anymore. So granny, granny's going to come pick me up. I don't feel well. Well, all right, granny. Well, thank you so much. Okay, bye. I'm in the office, granny, and I don't know if you know this, but nurses are looking at me, so I love you too. Goodbye. <laughs> she wasn't even on the other end of the line. Was not even on the other end of the line, and I found myself saying that, and I remember thinking, like, why would you even do that, Amanda? You ain't fooling nobody. Like, I know that your granny ain't on the other end of that phone line anymore. And so I hung up the phone, and I almost made it a point from that day moving forward, as uncomfortable as it was, to be like, okay, love you. Okay, love you. Because I felt like we, I just felt like I was supposed to. I felt like I was supposed to remind them, like, hey, I do love you. For whatever that's worth, love you, goodbye. And I made it so natural that even in our office, even in with our, with our coworkers that do work beside us and not necessarily for us, I find myself always saying, okay, love you, bye. Good morning, love. How are you, love? Mm-hmm. And, and it's one of those things where just saying it, they feel better. You could almost be as direct or blunt as you want to in the correspondence that you have with them. But just them knowing that they're loved by somebody feels so different. And, and that alone makes people want to take action, gives them the motive. But it doesn't mean that I've got... Yeah, Jacqueline's sitting back here watching us, our promise keeper with CEO AF, and it doesn't mean that I've got any intimacy or sexual relations with Jacqueline, right? I just love her. Hi, my Jacqueline. We'll talk I later. Stuck her tongue. But it is one of those things where I truly believe in that wholeheartedly. And and the other side to that double-edged sword is that, like, if your spouse isn't familiar or aware of that sort of correspondence with other people in your life when it comes to the opposite sex you could really be in a hiccup Mm -hmm. especially like for Kimba and I we travel and when we do a lot of times there are other men around and that can be very uncomfortable for a spouse to have to witness when they're not there beside you Mm -hmm. and even when they are there beside you um and thank goodness Chris Bell is just so confident and and has no desire in his little heart to ever try and 
and try and you know bundle me up in a package and say fit inside of here he he never does that to me and i'm so grateful for that in a spouse but um but i can't imagine how it must have felt being with me in the beginning because he heard me tell other men on the phone okay chris love you big talk to you soon bye <laughs> and he was he never mentioned it he was always cool with it and it wasn't until people in the surrounding space or when you start talking to more people would bring up man amanda why do you say that why do you say it? because i do because I do truly have a love for you, for the things that you offer, for the things that you bring to the table, and for your spirit being around. I have a love for that. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you do too. <laughs> well, I think, you know, women have an easier time to tell people that they love them. But if you look at men, men are supposed to be tough and don't yeah. cry. And, and we don't tell people we love them. I mean, I'll tell my, my men friends, hey, I love you, dude. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important, you know, because love and that, that interaction and, and that feedback is essential for the human being to survive. But most people don't give love or give those compliments until they get it in return. And why do you think that is? Why do you think we don't tell people we love them, as an example? I think that for me, I probably would find myself not saying it if I felt like I wouldn't get it in return. I had to get past that myself before Okay, I so let's stop it. there for a second because this is a key element and this is what people don't look at is that the human, by, the human being by nature is selfish. We are born that way. We are by nature selfish. The challenge is the negative force in life, whatever you want to call it, wants to make us believe that, you know, um, that that's a negative thing, that being selfish is negative. But mm-hmm. there's two types of selfish you get. One is essential and one is destructive. So the destructive one is what they label everything that seems to be selfish as. But if you look at, for example, if I'm starving, they put a meal in front of me here. What am I going to do? I'm going to eat. Why? Because I've got to sustain myself. Once I've eaten... Now I have the capacity to give. Now there's food left on the table. I've filled myself and I'm no longer starving. Now it's easy for me to give that food, right? But we don't want to give to somebody. Why? Because we fear losing. And if you look at the human being, we don't tell somebody we love them. Why? Because as you say, we we fear not getting in a return. And that's because as human beings, we are by nature what you call a trader. We trade. Mm -hmm. We're not givers. We think we give, but we're not true givers. Because give comes from the word gift. And if you look at a gift, a gift is a gift is a gift. But we don't give gifts that way. We'll take something, for example, I use this, and I give it as a gift. If I'm expecting something in return, that's not a gift. That's a trade. Mm -hmm. And the problem is when I don't get what I'm expecting in return, in my mind, and this is happening all subconsciously, it's not a conscious thing. In my mind, I'm going, well, that's a bad trade. So I'm no longer going to trade with that person. I'll now go trade that with somebody else. Now, if you look at that as tangible things, we understand. But now you take it intangible things like love. Love is something we can trade for. And if you look at most people in their marriages, they're doing that. I'll give an example. You know, I used to do marriage counseling. And I had this couple that came in. They were friends of mine. I won't use their real names. But, um, you know, I asked him. And this happened in a much longer period. A, a time period so i'm giving you the very shortened version of it but i asked him what do you ultimately want in the relationship and he ultimately said i want love then i asked her what do you ultimately want in the relationship what do you think she said ultimately she wants love i said guys this is great you're both on the same page you both want the same thing we're in a good head start then i asked him you know how do you get love he says the only way to get it is to give it i said great and i asked her how do you get love she says the only way to get it is to give it So because they're coming for counsel, this is what I told them. I said, well, here's my counsel to you. I said, I want you to love her like you've never loved before in the next couple of months, uh, weeks and months. And I want you to go home and love him like you've never loved before. What do you think it happened at that point in time? It just feels good you talking about it. (laughs) 
But here's what happened. They both said, whoa, hang on a second. He said then, I will love her when she loves me. She said, I will love him when he loves me. Here come the lesson from me. I said, guys, what happened to give? They understood it in theory, but not in practice. Does that make sense? Because when I ask them, how do you get love? The only way to get it is to give it. But they're not giving it. Why? Because they fear losing. And when we fear losing, it's hard to give. You also can't give from an empty vessel. Mm -hmm. If you need $10 and you ask me for $10 and I don't have it, can I give that to you? Absolutely That's not. the same with love. So that's why here's the challenge with the human being. We're going through life looking for other people to fill us with love so that we can take those portions of love and give them back. Mm-hmm. The problem is what is that person uh, looking for and, and wanting? They're waiting for people to fill them up. So here we are, human beings interacting with everybody waiting for people to fill us and they're not filling us why because they also trying to be filled so the key is this and this is the hardest thing to do is to actually give because when you give to somebody you can never lose the only time you lose is if if your motive for giving is incorrect the motive has to be pure so if i give you a portion of love and you don't give it back to me i've got to convince my brain that that's okay why because giving should be the right thing to do not because i'm getting something in return does that make sense? That's why if, if giving love and making fe- people feel special and uplifted is, is my purpose, then I can never lose. Because if I uplift you and if you accept the gift or not, that's on you, not on me. Yeah. I've lost nothing. So we may have lost that portion of love, but it doesn't matter. I still walk a little bit taller. And when I walk a little bit taller, I may not get love from you, but she may see it and she may give me in return. Yes. Mm-hmm. So now we're shifting the focus from getting that trade with that person and making the trade about doing what's right. Because if you do what's right, somebody's going to give you love. Because somebody wants to be around a person who's lovable. Somebody wants to be around somebody who gives love. Yes. Isn't it? I mean, have you ever been around people who drain you? They just take, 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 take. How long can you be around them for? Not very long. Yeah. And that principle is at the core of everything that we do, trading. And if you look at business, here is the, the, the challenge with business. Is business you can't truly give. Because it's not a charity. There is a, an exchange required. I, I give you this and the exchange is you give me something in return. And if I give that for free, I've now vi- violated a principle of reciprocation where, you know, it is a trade. Yeah. So that is the challenge with business, you know, being able to give without violating the process of that trade in business. Because business is a trade you know, environment. It is. And if we, if we violate that trade, let me give you a practical example and mine highlight it better. My brother used to fix cars in South Africa. <clears throat> so he, he would tell me, bring in your car, I'll fix it for free. I'm your brother, I'm going to fix it. So I'll deliver my car. You know, it's, let's say it's a Monday morning. I'll say, when can I pick it up? Pick it up in the afternoon. I'd arrive in the afternoon and he said, oh, your car's not ready because I had some business coming and I'm fixing their cars. Anyway, same thing. When can I get, I'll do it tomorrow. Same thing, Tuesday uh, evening comes, I go, uh, it's not fixed yet. It's like, hey, I really need my car. Hey, I'm doing you a favor. That's what he would say to me, you know. In the end, I just told him, I want to be a customer because I need my car, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the point I'm making is this, that a business requires a trade, and we violated a trade. Why? Because it requires him to deliver my car, and I give something in return. I was giving nothing in return for that. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. Now, with that being said, the best thing to still do is in business, because if you, the only way that I say is best to violate that 
principle is that give anyway because if i give to you it becomes the law of reciprocation you feel the need to give back to me but i need to give to you regardless regardless if there's something in return for me yeah. does that make sense a ton of sense so and that's where we we, we truly got to learn to give and it, it's down to the smallest things so for example it's like i'm looking at you now and you know when i first saw you i haven't seen you for a while but the first thing that struck me is you've always got a beautiful smile now we always think those things but we'll never tell people those things yeah. and this is you know this is something i try to teach people is if you think it go and tell them because when do we 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 generally tell people things when something is wrong yeah when do i hear about your husband when he's done something wrong yeah you know you 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 work with somebody and when do you hear about their husband or their significant other oh oh you can't believe what he did today it makes me mad <laughs> but you'll never hear hey True. you won't believe what he did for me this weekend man it was great so we yes. keep quiet when things go right when they go wrong we tend to speak up so i tell people catch people doing things right especially if you're a CEO, especially if you're a leader in a business, we tend to catch people doing things wrong. So we end up schooling or policing them. And that shouldn't be that. We should create an environment where, you know, the culture is a culture of love and a culture of abundance and a culture of giving because that's truly where success lies, in my opinion. Yes. It's not about how much money you make. It's what legacy you leave with that person. When they leave there, did you leave them a better person than when you found them? And that, I believe, is the key. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Mic drop, please. <laughs> mic drop. I, I got to just... tell you on the way here, Lars, I've, I've been practicing the art of unconditional love because I do believe that it's an art. And for me... I realized that that is one of the things that my soul has come here to learn because I'm very much, I've always, I guess like most humans, been the traitor. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if I send you a text message and you don't text me back, I'm offended, right? Of or course. if I give you a compliment, you don't respond to it, then I'm offended. So I've really been working on not doing that, but also displaying my gratitude and what I do love about people. So I sent a friend of ours a video on the way here to just say, you know, I wanted to rewind and just express gratitude and let you know that I love this, this, and this about you. And I do, I just love that you shared that today because I'm like, man, I'm practicing that right now. Practice that on the way in this morning and super grateful for, and it's the little things. Like, man, I just like to look in your eyes, dude. Your eyes are beautiful. Yeah. You have a beautiful smile. Like that brings me love and happiness. And to normalize that not being something that's weird or uncomfortable to share with people, I think is so important for where we are as a species and in, in humanity 100%. right now. And I think that's actually the key is learning, you know, learning to let go of your insecurities, learning to let go of your fears, because we do fear, you know, if I give, I mean, picture I've got four portions of love. Yeah. And let's say I need five to be full. Yeah. You know, it's difficult to, to give unconditionally. Why? Because I don't have unconditional unlimited amounts of portions of love to give i only have four and i need five to be satisfied yes. so now when i give one portion of love what my brain does because you've got to remember that 13 percent of your thinking is conscious yes. you know what you know 87 percent of your thinking is unconscious or subconscious you don't know what you don't know but just because you don't know it consciously doesn't mean it's not there. And in fact, that's what controls us. The subconscious, what controls us. Mm -hmm. the, the, the primary role of your subconscious brain is to protect you from pain. And if it sees you're going to have pain in any way, it does this. So picture your mind shutting down. Mm -hmm. So we've got to train our minds to open up. And there's certain techniques that you can teach somebody to do to allow that to happen. And when your mind's more open and your mind sees that I'm not going to be hurt, then your mind will give those compliments. But yeah. you've got to have those things in place. Otherwise, we become very protective. The human being is a very protective creature. Mm -hmm. We protect all the time. And that's the challenge. You know, we don't end up giving. And I think that having an abundance and giving an abundance is absolutely a key to success. The more you give in business, regardless whether you're going to get money back or not, 
isn't what I, I think makes you a great company and what makes you successful. Oh, gosh, Lars. I just love your whole soul. I'm just going to say that for what it <laughs> Would is. Would you say, Lars, I know this podcast is going a little long, but I think it's a good one. So it's I'm gonna such ask, a good one. I'm going to ask the question anyway. I'm like, they're they're triggering up to 30 minutes over there. And I'm like, it's fine. We're going to yeah. roll on for just one few we'll more We'll sweat minutes. for an hour if we have to. This one's good. <laughs> But would you say that the ability to give unconditionally, to be able to have that cup that does always just run over onto other people and to be able to confidently know, for myself, it's come down to my ability to be able to heal and to be able to love myself. Because that fifth piece always comes from myself or my connection to God for me. Mm -hmm. And the other day, the same friend I sent a video to told Amanda and I the other day, with the biggest smile and with the most love, did he look at us and say, you guys are so self-absorbed. And we both smiled back to where typically you would think that that was almost somebody saying something mean about you. But we smiled because we knew what he saw in the practice of the way that we lived our lives was that we woke up and we meditated. We did our yoga. We made sure that we handled our business. And we, we talked to ourselves and others like we're our own best friends as much as we are each other's best friend. You know, I hype up Kimba just like I do Amanda and make sure that I'm consciously connecting to my higher power to my future self and I'm always giving myself that gratitude. So I am a self-absorbed person in the sense that I'm constantly filling up my own cup because it's what gives me the confidence to be able to pour onto you and you don't have to give it back to me, man. I mm -hmm. love you. You're mm -hmm. good either way. I get it from here. I get it from here. You know, I get it. and if you're listening on the podcast, I'm like I get it from above, I get it from inside. And do you think that it's really that practice that allows us to be able to endlessly continue to give that unconditional love, we have to keep filling ourselves back up. Well, there's a couple of things happening there, but the key is self-love. The challenge is if you look in most religions, you know, frown on self-love, look down on self-love. And I, I don't believe that's truly what the gospel says. We're talking a little bit about religion here. Amen. But um, <laughs> I think it's our misunderstanding of how things work. Let me give you an example. Do you mind me using a religious example? Whether you not believe in this or not, I'm teaching the principle, whether sure. you believe in this or not. But, you know, a lawyer once asked Christ, what is the greatest commandment? And Christ answered, it's in Matthew, I don't know the exact scripture, but he answered, love the Lord thy God and thy neighbor as thyself. Yes. Now let's look at that because that is the key. So remember the question was, what is the greatest commandment? Okay. Yes. Big question. That is a big question. And he question. said, love the Lord thy God and thy neighbor as thyself. So if you look at that, let me ask you this. If I had to ask most Christians, where does it start? What would they say? With God. With God. And that there is the problem. Because we can't love God. Why? Because as human beings, we are fallen. As human beings, we are broken. As human beings, we are not perfect. And we, you know, we understand love to be something tangible. We are what you call tactile creatures. We like to touch, feel, and see things. And that's a problem with social media, just on a side note. Social media is killing that tactile. Mm -hmm. We don't have that tactile you know, feeling anymore where we touch people, we love them, and hug them, because everything's done on social media, and we lose that contact. But what was I saying? I've lost my train of thought now with so that little So we've got to love thy God, thy So neighbor. love the Lord thy God and thy neighbor as thyself. Most people think that it starts with God. We can't love God. Why? Because we can't touch, feel, and see him. Yes, we can feel his spirit, which is how we can feel God, but we still can't. Because we've fallen, we can't see him. So what does he do? He's actually, that's the first contract ever given. He says, love the Lord thy God as thy neighbor, as thyself. Later on in Matthew, he goes on to explain that how to do it now. But it's really a three-part commandment. So three people you ought to love. Self, 
neighbor, and yourself. Sorry, God, neighbor, and yourself. Here's the challenge. He goes on to say, if you do it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So he goes and clarifies that contract and says, but if you just love your neighbor, I will know that you love me. So you don't have to love me because I don't need your love because he's so full of love. He's all about giving it away. If you just love your neighbor, I'll know that you love me. The problem is how often do our neighbors get loved? Very seldom. Why? Because we don't love ourselves. You can't give what you don't have. You can't sell from an empty wagon. You can't give from an empty box. Yeah. Does it make sense? 100%. So what you're saying is self-love becomes key, but then Satan or the devil makes you believe that if you love yourself, that's selfish. You've got to be altruistic and love God. Therein lies the problem. So if you look at uh, loving self, it's a key thing. There are, there are two basic things you need to love yourself. And if you're listening on the podcast, write these two things down because they're key. Number one is a righteous behavior, not religious, righteous. In other words, doing what's right. If I need to make 10 phone calls as a salesperson in a day, what would righteous behavior be? Making those 10 phone Making calls. Making 15. Yeah, well, if you make 15, it's a bonus. Yeah. But the minimum is to make those 10. Yeah. If I make those 10 phone calls, how do I feel about myself, good or bad? Okay. Good. Is that showing love to myself? Absolutely. So that's why discipline becomes so important in life. Why? Because the more disciplined you are, the more love you show to yourself. Why is that important to show yourself love? Because if you love yourself, then you have the capacity to give. Yes. Because you've just yeah. created all these portions of love for yourself. You're not waiting for somebody else to fill you. You're filling yourself. Yeah. So first one, righteous behavior. The second one, which most people leave out, which is what my whole business is based on, is so righteous behavior and the second one measurement you've got to measure it in fact the, the great management guru peter drucker said if you can't measure it you can't manage it so let me say that again if you can't measure it you can't manage it mm -hmm. the challenge with most people in business as a consultant i see that they don't have a strategy they don't have parameters they set to measure their business and if you can't measure where you are in business it makes it very difficult to manage it. Likewise in life, if you don't have certain measures set up in life where you can measure what it is that you're doing, it's very difficult to manage your life. That's why most people's lives are mismanaged or most people's uh, lives are in chaos. And that's the challenge. We have to have a strategy. And that's what I do is I help people create a strategy within 90 days and help them execute it. Because if you look at the human brain, it does something called chunking. We take something big and we, mm -hmm. we put it into chunks. For example, for goal setting, you know, our mind thinks in a year, half a year, quarter, month, week, and then it starts going into three days or it goes uh, seven days, week, five day week, three days it starts chunking down to and then it starts the, the day, so 24 hours. Then it takes that day and starts chunking it down even further. Mm -hmm. So when you understand that and that psychology or that uh, uh, technology, you can use it in your favor. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. There's principles out there. That's why truth is so important to, to lean on truth. I think you mentioned and started leaning towards how important truth is and, and basing your life on that truth and you know focusing on making sure that you're doing what's right because when you do what's right, you fill yourself with love. Okay. I mean, if you look at, we're talking about relationships, men, as an example, don't cheat because they don't like, don't love their wives. They cheat because they don't love themselves. Yep. Mm -hmm. Most of the things we do that are wrong is because of how we feel about ourselves. I get angry with somebody else. Why? Not because of how I feel about them. Mm -hmm. It's because of how I feel about me. Yep. So if, if 
you know, the feelings you have towards yourself are so important. Why don't we focus on it? We so focus on other people and what we get from them, we, we don't realize we're letting ourselves down on a daily basis. That's the key, is keeping promises to yourself. The key is being disciplined and making sure that you come first. That's because why I was is. so upset this morning, by the way, because I let myself down when I snoozed that darn alarm. <laughs> and I took it a step further. I turned off the other alarms. <laughs> Because I knew I was going back to sleep. <laughs> well, you see, that's the thing. So by not doing what you said, you promised you said and you didn't do. Yeah. What happens is that becomes the stick you beat yourself up with. So as a yep. result, you mm -hmm. shrink your self-image. Yes. Now, if we're doing that on a daily basis, that becomes a challenge because here's, here's what happens with self-image. If I have a self-image here, that's why I'll attract no more, no less. Mm -hmm. If I have a self-image up here, that's why I'll attract no more, no less. Yeah. The challenge is we have a capacity or self-image down here and we're trying to achieve up here. Yeah. Now, we may get this, but what happens because your self-image is like a human thermostat. Like if I had to set the temperature in here to 70 degrees yep. and it went to 75 degrees, what would the, the AC and the thermostat do? Kick on. We'll kick the AC on to bring it back to 70. Yeah. Likewise, if it went to 65 and too cool, what would it do? Switch it off to raise the temperature. And if you look at your self-image, which is what I, uh, I relate to or call capacity, we all have a capacity and wherever your capacity is what you will achieve. In fact, when I was with the profiling company, we did a study on commission-based salespeople over two years. And what we found was if you believe you were worth 10 grand a month, what do you think you would earn over a space period of time? 10 grand a month. Yeah. Take all the money you earn, add it up and divide it by, you know, 24 months. You'll get exactly what you believe you're worth. Why? Because the human thermostat, your self-image regulates you. So what is the key to success is to go in and teach people how to grow capacity. That's the challenge with the, the, the training industry, which I've been in for many, many years, is we take a glass and let's use this analogy. If I take a glass and if I take a jug containing goodness and if I take that big jug and I pour into the glass and I keep pouring, I keep pouring, I keep pouring, what will happen after a while? Overflow. Overflow. Why? Because the capacity of the glass is not enough to hold the goodness of the jug. Yeah. That's the same as training. We send a glass on training only to give it a jug's worth of information. You won't retain it or keep it. Why? Because you don't have the capacity to. Yeah. So that's why our program fits on the front of any training. If you're training, we'll just help you use your training better. Why? Because we're growing capacity. And there's three things you need to understand to grow capacity. One is why you do what you do. The second one is why not? What's stopping you doing the things you know you shouldn't could be doing? And then the last one is what you want. 3% of the world's population has a written down goal and plan. 3% of the population knows what they want. 97% of the population don't know what they want. So they take whatever they can get. Yeah. That's the challenge. Or they take whatever hits them in the day. It's like the greatest analogy is probably a ship. If you take a ship without a rudder, it's floating. It's going around. But where does it go? Wherever the waves toss it, wherever the wind takes it. <laughs> like we're not sure. <laughs> and that's the challenge. Most of us are a ship without a rudder. So the rudder becomes the strategy. The rudder becomes your purpose. Most people don't know what their purpose is. And that is a challenge. So if you look, and I'll just leave you with mine, there's two things. You get purpose and vision. My purpose is this, fill my mind with truth, fill my heart with love, fill my life with service. And if you look at that, the purpose uh, uh, or my vision is to do those things. But why is that? To enable financial and emotional independence. So everything I do, I've got to ask myself, like when I sat down here today, it's not about getting money or getting whatever it is. It's about giving to you. And by giving to you, I get in return automatically. It doesn't matter. Does it make sense? Because if I can help you be a better person, that makes me a better person.
so we can empower people with those tools. Here's the challenge with the motivation industry. You can't motivate people. You can, you can teach and inspire them and lead them, but motivation comes from within. But you can give them the tools to help them be more motivated, if that makes sense. Absolutely. The problem is we just don't know what those tools are. So most businesses are running their business. Most people are running their life and business like a ship without a rudder. We just don't have a rudder, and the rudder is key to actually getting somewhere oh, yeah. on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll get somewhere, but it's just not on purpose. And most of us get to that place only to realize that this is not where I want to be. Yeah. And that's why most people change what it is that they do. And so. exactly what you said a moment ago is is the journey is by far the most important piece. Most important. Most important piece. Who you are, who you become on the way is the result. That is not where you get to, yeah. but who you become on the who way. That's the value. The yeah. That is the value. The value is in the doing, not in the getting. So, I love that, Lars. Would you mind um, just sharing with our podcast listeners here, because they are all CEOs, growing teams, and they do all need to grow their capacity, right? So how would somebody go about reaching out to you if they were interested and have you come in and chatting with their team about some of the concepts that we've spoke about today? So best way is just call me, simple phone call, reach out to me on social media. You can post that wherever you're posting this. I'm happy to share that, but my number is 972-672-8069. Call me, text me. I'm very open to discussing, even if I point you in the right direction, we may never do business, you know, because I'm all about job fit and uh, fitting with somebody. I don't fit with everybody. What I do, and I use that as my opening line with people. The reason I'm here to visit with you today is to discuss X, Y, and Z. I want you to know that what I do is not for everybody. And if Mm -hmm. you look at that, if I open up with that, I'm unselling myself up front. Why is that important? Because nobody likes to be sold. We love to buy, but we don't like to be sold. Get people to buy. Stop selling. If you want to sell more, stop selling. Get people to buy. That requires a shift in your mindset in order to do that, to bypass your natural 87% subconscious mind who's there trying to protect you from pain. The problem with that brain is it gets you, it protects you from short-term pain, but gets you into a long-term problem in the process. Okay. doesn't know the difference. So did that answer the question? I might have gone A hundred percent, yeah. And right. you added to it. Okay, so yeah. that, was even, yeah. that was even better. Well, thank you so much, Lars, for spending your time with you. us today. This was super great. I only have one more question for you, and then I swear we can wrap up. Okay. Like, I got one. <laughs> I'm like, you're here, and I'm going to take it, okay? So when established, because now we're back to motive, mm-hmm. right? And we use the example again about motive, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be myself here, sister, and be like, because when you said that, I thought about sex. That was the first thing that came because for me, sex has different motives too, right? Like we're doing it because we're in love or connection, because we're celebrating that, and then some people use sex completely different for mm-hmm. other things, right? But but we're back to motive, um, and so when somebody's developing or trying to get in touch with, because you said motivation comes from inside, which means motive comes from inside, mm-hmm. right? So for somebody out there that's listening right now, because I know this used to, my coach had to walk me through. I mean, the first time somebody said, Kimba, what's your why? I went, my kids. And he said to me, why does that matter? And I answered. And he said, why does that matter? And I answered. And we went through and through and through. And by the end of this, by the end of this journey, I'm in tears, right? I'm like, oh my God. It's because I am trying to show my kids that they are limitless. It's, it is about my kids, but it's truly about myself. Now we're back to ourselves. It's truly about the fact that when Kimba was invited to be a student ambassador for China in the fifth grade, her parents couldn't afford a sender, right? It came down to when I had a passion and a calling, somebody would shoot me down or put me, or it was always, we can't do that, or we can't afford that, or we're too poor for that, or you'll never hold up to that. 
And so for me, it really came about being able to, but I was, I was able to identify the gap that I was feeling in that childhood self and where my motive truly did come from. And from there, I was able to grow with that, right? To be able to identify my motive and then be able to add on to that. Because it does change as seasons change and, and your why sometimes gets bigger and mine most definitely has. But for people that are kind of where I was a couple years ago going, well, how the hell do I know, Lars? Okay, I got to have a motive. It comes from within. Like, what is there a three part because you've given a lot of really cool checklists which mm-hmm. i really enjoyed today so i'm like do we have any things that we could leave people with on identifying motive well and that's a great question so and it's not complicated the problem with a human being is we we take something simple and we complicate it and we label it as progress and and what i say about progress is progress is man's ability to complicate simplicity so we have to get back to the simple i think it was richard branson who said that simplicity is the ultimate form of sophistication. So less is more. And just going back, you asked me my history. You know, I'm like everybody else. I was chasing the money. You know, I was a millionaire by the age of 29, the first time I've done it a couple times. But I realized that what I was chasing, I was never fulfilled. And because I was chasing it for the wrong reason, the motive. So if you look at motive, when I, when I have a course what used to happen was i allowed people to have the process of going through the course to find their motive the reality is this is that now what i do is i just tell people what it is because we we can save months of work and they've just got to trust me i say don't believe me but just practice it and go out and you'll see for yourself because the truth will reveal itself But motive, the human being, and we're the only creature, we're part of the animal kingdom, but we're the only creature who thinks and reasons because animals don't think and reason like we do. They largely go by instinct. We don't. We weigh up two things. So our motive is twofold. One is to avoid a loss, and the second one is to gain a benefit. Those are the only two motives that drive the human being. Of course, there's instinct as well, but instinct is very seldom for us. Um, but it's those two things, to avoid a loss or to gain a benefit. Let me use a very extreme example. You look at 9-11 happen. I don't know if you remember, it broke my heart to watch these people jumping from a burning building to their deaths. But more important question is this, why do you think they jumped? Because they thought it was going to be less painful. Okay, why do you think they jumped? I think for me, I probably would have had hope that maybe I just end up broken and that can heal. Well, and that's exactly why. If you look at the human being, one of the strongest drives in the human being is self-preservation. That's why it says in the scriptures, you know, no uh, uh, greater love has no man than if you lay down your life for somebody else. Why? Because you go against the fundamental need to uh, self-preserve. Do you know that they stood in that building and they knew, and this is very subconscious, they knew if I stay, I know I'm going to die. But if I jump, there's a possibility that I may live. Now, of course, we know that the possibility is slim to none and slim left the building, but it's still hope. And that's what keeps the human being going, hope that I could, that I could live. So they jump to save themselves. And it's ironic because by jumping, they kill themselves, but they're still in control of the action that they still had control of whether they lived or died. Whereas if they stayed, they knew they would die. Yeah. So motive is two things, the need and the want, avoid a loss or gain a benefit. The challenge with the human being, most of us are needs focused or become needs motivated. The problems with being needs motivated is that it only lasts while the need is there. So let me give an example. If I need $4,000 a month and I'm a commission-based salesperson, 
if I achieve those, if I achieve my goal of $4,000 a month and I'm needs based, those are my needs. I achieve it in the first two weeks. How motivated do you think I am in the second two weeks? None. No. I sit back and my self image says, what? You've made it. Four grand is where you're at. That's why, you know, uh, avoiding a loss, we're motivated by that need. But gaining a benefit is where it's really at. And those benefits are threefold love, acceptance, and respect. That's what drives the human being, whether we like it or not. Now, I take love out of it, but essentially those are all forms of love. Mm -hmm. Just one is love is a one-on-one -on -one intimate relationship with somebody. Acceptance is more the love from others. And then respect is having love from people you don't even know because they mm -hmm. respect you for who you are. But here's the key. You can be loved because we all want love, but you can be loved, accepted, and respected for what you have or for who you are. Which would you prefer? Who so I let me am. say it again. You can be loved, accepted, and respected for what you have or for who you are which would you prefer i would prefer it for who i am but i almost won't show them who i am till i have what they think i should have well that's the challenge we all want love acceptance and respect for who we are but what do we tend to chase because society is drumming this into us if i have that fancy ferrari then i'll be a somebody mm -hmm. so we get the fancy car whatever it is let's just use a ferrari as example I get the Ferrari, but, but because my motive is not pure, now I get the car and somebody falls in love with me. Let's say I'm a single guy, but now I get a girlfriend. What happens in my subconscious mind, my subconscious mind says, does she love me or me because of the car? Yeah. Now it becomes detrimental yeah. because now I'm not sure. Does she love me for who I am or for what I have? Yeah. Now that becomes the very thing. Now I lose the car. Let's say things get tough, the economy gets tough, and bank takes my car away. What happens to the love I have between that person? It's gone. Because now I question, she doesn't love me, she doesn't love me, she doesn't love me. That's what's happening in my head. And by having those thoughts, I start acting on those thoughts and she ends up leaving. Because I push her away, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. And when she's walking out the door, what do I say? Told you she didn't love me. Yep. But we create the scenario. And it's the same with business. We do the same. The principle is the same. I go into a sales appointment and I say, this person will never buy from me. Never buy from me. Mm -hmm. And then they don't. So what do I say? Told you they wouldn't buy from me. Yeah. It comes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But to answer your question, two things motivate, a need and a want. We should be focused on the want because that'll, that'll push us beyond the pain because the need's only satisfied once you've satisfied the pain. Once the pain's gone, we stop being motivated. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's the challenge. Need and a want is what motivates the human being. Ah, goodness. You guys, this is a wild journey through life, and I absolutely love and enjoy doing it with all of you guys wholeheartedly. You guys, if you absolutely loved and enjoyed this podcast as much as we did with Lars today, please do us a favor and share this with some of your favorite people that you also love. Keep that ripple effect of the higher vibration and frequency going throughout the world. And we hope to catch you guys on the next one. Talk to you soon.